All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't know what was just said over there, but I'm just going to ignore it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish up chapter 2 and go a few verses into chapter 3. I don't want you to get a little bit, rec- uh, a little bit uh, restless when I get to the end of chapter 2 and think that we're done, because um, we're not. Um, so we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 6, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 3, verse 4. So a couple weeks ago, when we last gathered together and looked at 1 Corinthians, uh, we talked about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And we finished up our sermon last, last time by reading the first five verses of chapter 2, and I'm going to read those to you now as kind of a recap. This is what it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers... And do not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul talks frankly about how he came to the Corinthians with plain speech, focusing strictly on Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't come to the Corinthians talking to them with all these rhetorical things that he could have done to impress them. He didn't talk to them about all these really high and lofty things. He stuck to the basics, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when we looked at the passage last week, we talked about how that specifically is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. And so Paul specifically talked about something that would be an issue for them and talked only about that. He intentionally didn't try try to use wisdom to persuade them, but he said that he intentionally let the Holy Spirit do the work. And why did he do that? Because he didn't want their faith to rest in him as a man. He wanted their faith to rest solely in the power of God. Because if Paul got up in front of them and talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified, and they were still saved, there was only one that they could point to and say, did that work? Because it was foolishness. It was a stumbling block. And when they heard that message and were saved, it was obviously the Holy Spirit that did it. It was the Holy Spirit that did it. But I don't want you to get the impression that Paul has an issue with wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and being wise. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom and being wise. And so we shouldn't swear off wisdom because Paul said, oh, well, I didn't talk to you with wisdom. I just talked about Christ and him crucified. So we're going to throw wisdom out the window because Paul talks specifically about wisdom right here in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at that tonight. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. It'll also be up on the screen. And if for whatever reason you don't want to read, you can just listen. That's fine. So this is what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you, this is chapter 3, but, at, but as a people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And that's where we're going to stop tonight. So the first thing we see is we see Paul talking about the secret wisdom of God. The secret wisdom of God. So in verse 6, when he says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, that's Paul telling us that he does think wisdom is good, but it's a certain kind of wisdom. And it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. So remember, what he was talking to the Corinthians about is their attraction to appearing wise to the world. They were attracted to the things that the world thought were wise so that they would then appear to be wise and gain some sort of cultural status or standing by being wise. And Paul is right off the bat saying, listen, we impart wise to those who are mature, but it's not the wisdom of the world. That's not what we're giving out. Don't look to the world for this kind of wisdom is essentially what he's saying. Why? Because it's doomed to pass away. It's doomed to pass away. It's not going to last. Now, as soon as we hear pass away, we automatically think about the end times, right? Where all things are gonna pass away, everything's gonna be burned up and God, God's gonna make a new heaven, a new earth. But it's not just that. It's not just the end of times. Think about how wisdom has changed between now and, and back then. And you can think of back then as any period of time back then. How many of you, you wake up in the morning, you're feeling a little bit ill, and your first thought is, maybe I have too much blood. Where are my leeches? Where are my leeches? That'll make me feel better. Any of you think that? Because that used to be standard medical procedure. Every single time you were sick, oh, you probably just have too much blood. Let me cut you open. Let me get the leeches. We'll get some of that blood out and you'll feel better. That used to be wise. It passes away. It's not just when God destroys all things. It's that as we continue to advance, we realize that certain things just aren't accurate. The universe does not revolve around the earth. It certainly doesn't revolve around you. That was a joke. You can laugh. 
<laughs> but, but we learn things as we go. And so wisdom, what, is, what appears to be wise now, in 40 years might not be wise at all. When people first started smoking, that was the good thing to do. Everybody smoked. Babies smoked. People smoking on airplanes. And now it's like, no, don't, no, don't smoke. Your lungs turn black and you cough them up in chunks until you die. Wisdom of the world changes. My favorite example of that is eggs. Are eggs good or bad for you this week? I can't remember. <laughs> they change it constantly. They're good for you. They're bad for you. Who knows? That's what I mean when I talk about the wisdom of the world passing away. It's, gonna, it's, it's not going to last. It's going to die. And so Paul is saying, don't look to the world for this kind of wisdom. But instead, Paul and the other apostles impart a secret wisdom. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, I want to be really careful here. Because we've talked already about false teachers who have come into churches and they've taught what we've talked about as Gnosticism or special knowledge, secret knowledge. And so we got to make sure that we draw a distinction between that kind of quote unquote secret knowledge and what Paul is talking about here. Okay? Because that's really important. And here's the big difference. The big difference is this. That the false teachers, when they were imparting secret knowledge, they weren't pointing at the scriptures to prove it. They were saying, well, God told me, and you just got to trust me. That was their secret knowledge. It was only their secret. But Paul, as we're going to see, is pointing to the scriptures to illuminate what God had already said when he talked about secret knowledge. The word that's translated as secret, hidden there, is also translated in some other sections of, of Scripture as mystery. And so turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't want to turn, you can just listen. But Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, that's the same usage there when it talks about mystery. And so Paul is saying, listen, the mystery is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That is the mystery. The, the, the source of the mystery is Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. Paul was pointing to the scriptures specifically to the Old Testament, to say this is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. And if you want an example of what I mean here about how this was kind of hidden knowledge, uh, if you want to, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 3 or you can just listen as I talk about it. But this is an example of how this knowledge was hidden, right? So after Adam and Eve sinned, in chapter 3, God speaks to the serpent and to Adam and to Eve, 
And this is what he says to the serpent. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The first part of that is more what we're focused on, right? So he tells the serpent, he says, listen, you've done a bad thing and you're going to be punished for it. And the ultimate destruction, the ultimate defeat of you is that the woman's offspring is going to be the one who crushes you. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And then he tells the woman, you're going to bear children and it's going to hurt. Now, that means that Adam and Eve have been told by God, a savior is coming. They have heard this. This is the gospel. A savior is coming to save you from this death that you have brought upon yourself with sin. But that's all he told them. He didn't explain fully. He didn't say it's going to be a long time. He didn't say there's going to be this old guy and his old wife, and I'm going to give him a child, and there's going to be a nation. He didn't give him all that information. He just said, you're going to have, an, have offspring, and your offspring is going to destroy the serpent. So then we get to Genesis chapter 4. And it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, knew in the biblical sense. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain sounds like the Hebrew word forgotten. But have you ever thought about why Eve said that? about her son, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's because she thought upon seeing this baby boy, this is the savior. This is the savior that God promised. I had a painful childbearing. He's my offspring. He's going to fix what his father and I broke. Now, we know that did not happen that Cain did not follow God. Cain murdered his brother. He was not the savior. But this is what I mean when I tell you that the reality of Christ was known, but also hidden. Because they didn't have the full picture of it. And over the course of time, as we read in the Old Testament, God would give them little glimpses. He told Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He told David that a king from his household would sit on the throne forever. God made these promises that were kept in Jesus, but all along his people kept misunderstanding because the full illumination, the full revelation of what God was doing was hidden until Christ came, until the Spirit came and made it known. And so Paul and the apostles are pointing at the scriptures and saying, Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus fulfilled this. And they had to point to the scriptures. They had to explain it. Because as Paul quoted from Isaiah, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, even on our best day, 
If we sat down with all the scriptures and all the word of God and tried to figure out how God was going to save mankind, we couldn't have even dreamed it up. Because it went completely counter to everything that we would have done as humans, right? You're going to send a Messiah. You're going to send a warrior. You're not going to send a helpless baby. You're not going to make him be born into a family of literally nothing in a town of literally nothing. You're going to put him, you're going to put him in this, this place of status and standing, right? That's what the people thought. And that's the task that Paul and the apostles had was to reveal these things that were hidden by God until Christ came. And in verse 10, Paul tells us, <coughs> excuse me, tells us how those things were revealed. They were revealed to us through the Spirit. Spirit with a capital S. The Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that's important to recognize is that the Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament. He was around in the Old Testament, and he was actually involved with people in the Old Testament. The youth are going through 1 Samuel right now, and the Holy Spirit of God comes upon Saul. But we also know, spoiler alert youth if you don't know this already, that God later removes his spirit from Saul because the Holy Spirit of God was not something that was promised to all followers of God. It was something that God gave of his own accord for his own reasons. And when I say it, I mean he. He was someone that God gave of his own accord for his own reasons. As followers of Christ, Christ promised all of us that we would have the Spirit. And so the very same Spirit that is revealing to Paul and the apostles the things of Christ in the Old Testament and the Scriptures resides in us. That same Spirit is in us. And so here we are having these things illuminated to us by the Spirit just the same. And how does the Spirit do that? Because the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. In other words, there are aspects of God's plan that only the Spirit knows. Because God didn't write them down. He didn't communicate them to people. There are aspects of it that were just merely his thoughts. And the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. And so how do we gain wisdom? We gain wisdom by the Spirit. But the kind of wisdom that we gain is wisdom that comes from the Scriptures showing us who Christ is. And in verse 12, Paul again talks about how it's not from the world. Now we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, I want to stop there and point this out. Paul and the apostles are revealing things that were hidden. Okay? They are no longer hidden. They're no longer hidden. Paul and the apostles have revealed them to believers at that time and all time until Christ returns. And so now, rather than being hidden, the Spirit is revealing these things to us as freely given by God. In other words, you can read the Bible and understand it. You can read the Bible and be impacted by it and your heart be changed by it. You can do that because the Holy Spirit is in you. 
and the power to understand it, the power to understand God's word has been given freely to you in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is important because I want you to understand what I'm saying here. We're going to talk more about this later on in the book of 1 Corinthians. But God is not giving you fresh revelation. God is illuminating what he has already said. And there is a difference. There is a difference. What, Paul was, what God was doing with Paul and the apostles was giving them revelation. He was revealing to them how these things that had happened in Christ came from the Old Testament, were promised in the scriptures. What he is doing to us is illuminating the connections. You are not going to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and give us a 67th book of the Bible. I'm not going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. Because the revelation has been closed. The illumination is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us now. And so in verse 13, Paul kind of ties this all back together and says, and we impart this not in words, impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Had a conversation one time with a gentleman in seminary, and and he was telling me how when he prepares to teach or to preach, he wants to prepare in a way that non-believing people will fully understand what he's saying about the things of God. That they will fully understand it, they will fully comprehend it. And I think that that's a noble aim. However, they can't. They cannot. That's not a statement about them being stupid. There are plenty of non-believers who are much smarter than me. It's not a statement on their intelligence. It's a statement on their inability. It's a statement on their inability. Heard an illustration one time that I thought was perfect. If you take a, if you take a small child who plays t-ball, if you're unfamiliar with t-ball, I don't know how you would be, but just in case, you put the ball on a rubber tee, and it's usually played by like four or five-year-olds, and they put the ball on a rubber tee, and they swing the bat seven, eight times before they actually finally hit the ball that's completely, completely stationary. And if they do a really good job, it might roll past second base, where there's a child out there who doesn't have a glove on because they're playing in the grass. We don't really expect anything different, right? Because they're four and five years old, they're, they're just children. Now, take that four or five-year-old, put them in the batter's box at Dodger Stadium, facing off against Clayton Kershaw, and tell Clayton Kershaw, just throw the fastest heater you can throw right down the pipe. Do you expect that child to be able to hit that ball? Absolutely not. They are physically incapable of doing so. It's the same concept that Paul is talking about here. You cannot expect those who are not 
spiritual to understand the things of God. And so he goes on in verse 14 and he talks about the natural person and the spiritual person, 14, 15, and 16. So verse 14, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. They lack the ability it is a natural inability for them to understand the things of God. So we should not be surprised when non-believers look at us like there's something wrong with us when we tell them that marriage is between one man and one woman. We should not look at them, we should not be confused when they look at us with disgust when we say, homosexuality is an aberration that runs against God's word. They don't know any better. Sinners sinning should not surprise us. Now, the depth of their depravity might surprise us, and it should. Several months ago, there was a, a, a trend going around on social media called Shout Your Abortion where women were encouraged to talk about their abortions in glowing terms and how excited and happy they were that they had done it and how wonderful of an experience that it was for them. And it was disgusting. It was horrifying. The way that they were celebrating murdering children. But I couldn't be surprised because the natural man does not understand the things of God. They have no capability to process it. And so they think that it's folly. They think that it's foolish. I worked a job with men who were not believers and they would say, hey, we're going to the strip club after work. Do you want to go with us? No. <laughs> well, why not? Well, I mean, I am married and it's sinful to go to the strip. Yeah, but what does that matter? You're not doing anything. You're just going. It's, it was foolishness to them to think that it was not appropriate to go to the strip club. That's exactly what's happening here. They are not able to understand them because they are spiritually, they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, he talks about the spiritual person. He says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now that's a little bit confusing because it almost sounds like they're saying, only God can judge me. And that's not exactly right. And we're going to talk more about that as we continue on in 1 Corinthians, especially in chapter 5. Spoiler alert, Christians can judge other Christians. Get ready for that. But what he's talking about here is he's saying the spiritual person judges all things in the sense of knowing what is right and what is wrong. Because we have the spirit who helps us to understand the word of God. Does that make sense? We know what is right and what is wrong because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us to help us to discern and understand his word because these things have been revealed to us. They have been illuminated for us. And so when he says, but is himself to be judged by no one, here's what he means. If I have the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in me says, it is right for you to be married to one woman until you die. And the world says, that's dumb. I don't care what the world says. 
The world cannot judge the Holy Spirit of God who has revealed to me what is right from God's word. Does that make sense? That's what it means when it says that the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. The world cannot tell us as believers what is right and what is wrong, even though they're going to try. They're going to try. They're, they're doing it now. They're shouting from the rooftops about how, well, if God is really love, then homosexuals should be able to get married. That's, what they're, that's exactly what they're saying. It doesn't matter if they think that we're backwards. It doesn't matter if they think that we're bigots. It doesn't matter if they think that we're homophobic or whatever else it is. Because it's God who judges me. The world does not judge me because their judgment has no sway over the Holy Spirit of God that is within me. And Paul hammers that home because he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, just like God says to Job, what do you even know that you think that you can tell me what to do, that you can judge me, that you can instruct me on something? God, who knows all things, is going to be lectured by some goofy millennial with a patchy beard saying, but love is love, God. Who cares? You can't instruct God because God knows all things. Because God made all things. And so the differentiation is that we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is important. Because brothers and sisters, this means that when we think about things, when we discern what is right and wrong, we have to think with the mind of Christ. I cannot think with the mind of Corey. I can't do that. Because my mind is sinful. My flesh is sinful. And so I can't do what I think is right. As the book of Judges talks about at the very end, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, cannot do that. I have to search the scriptures for how I respond. When someone frustrates me, it is wrong for me to respond the way I want to respond. When a youth talks back to me, it is wrong for me to respond the way that I want to respond. I have to have the mind of Christ. And so do you. And so when we talk about these things, we have to talk about them with the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? We can't just simply say, well, I know it's right and you're a big dumb dumb head. Even though it might be true, we have to think with the mind of Christ. And so Paul goes on in chapter 3, in the first four verses, and I, I wanted to continue into chapter 3 tonight because I wanted, you know, we talked about having the mind of Christ. We talked about the natural person and the spiritual person. We talked about the things that were hidden by God, that the wisdom hidden by God. But Paul makes an important link here to wisdom and teaching having to do with spiritual maturity. Has to do with spiritual maturity. So this is what he says, but I, brothers, could not address you, this is chapter 3, verse 1, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. So Paul says that he could not talk to them either in the earlier letter that we've talked about before, how this was not really the first letter that he sent to Corinth, but there was a different letter. 
or when he came to them, he could not address them as spiritual people. He had to address them as people of the flesh. He could not take for granted that they would know these things. So when I talk to you, there are certain things that I can take for granted. I don't have to, in every single sermon, explain to you, you are a sinner. Sin is doing something that goes against God's perfect law. And because God is, I don't have to go through all of that with you. I can take for granted that you understand those things, that we can move beyond that. But Paul says with the Corinthians, he had to address them as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And he says that I fed you with solid food, with milk, not solid food, excuse me, for you are not ready for it. I remember when Evelyn was younger, she's still very young, but when she was younger and she was still nursing and Hannah and I would talk about this because Evelyn was a long eater. It took her forever to eat. And my poor wife was just sitting there like, I have other things I need to do. Can you please finish this? There's no reason for you to be doing this for this long. Can we move it along, please? And we would talk about, well, you know, soon she'll be able to eat solid food. And maybe then it'll get a little bit easier. It didn't because now she just all day long is, ah, I'm hungry, hungry, food, food, eat, eat, eat all day long. Literally, we get in the van and my daughter goes, cheese, cheese. She wants a cheese stick. It's like a button in the seat, just cheese. We longed for the day that she would get to solid food because it would make our lives a little bit easier. And now we have another baby coming and we're right back in the cycle. But Evelyn couldn't eat solid food until she was ready. If I tried to give my six-month-old daughter a steak, that would not go well. She has no teeth. She lacks the muscular ability in her jaws to eat it. She couldn't, like literally, she... For a long time, I was, I was convinced she couldn't even close her mouth. She just, all the time. She was not ready for it. That's part of the base, right? You can't, as parents, you can't move your child to solid food until they're physically able to handle it. And Paul says to the Corinthians, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready. You couldn't handle it. You could not process, digest, even chew what I have to teach you. And even now, you are not yet ready. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that he cannot go into the deep things of God with them the way that he does with, say, the Ephesians, the way that he does with the Philippians where he talks about some pretty deep and heavy spiritual stuff, the way he did with the Colossians as we looked at together. With the Corinthians, he's covering basics because they're not ready. And how does he know that they're not ready? He says in verse three, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely human? So notice what Paul says here. Paul is saying that the marker of spiritual maturity in our lives is obedience to the word of God. It's obedience to the word of God. Now, please don't feel like, as Pastor Mitch said this morning, 
Don't feel like you have to get every single bit of it right, right off the bat. You got saved 20 minutes ago. Well, you better never sin again. You better get it all right all the time. But there is an expectation that the things that you have heard, the things that you have learned, the things that God has shown you, do them. Do them. And the issue is not when we fail, because we're going to fail. We are going to fail. We are going to sin. It's a part of our human nature. But the difference between when we fail, hopefully, and when the Corinthians are failing, as we're going to see as we continue, is that the Corinthians rejoiced in their failure. The Corinthians celebrated their sin. The Corinthians had things going on in their church that should not go on, and they were going, but look how tolerant and great we are because we tolerate these sinful things. Paul is not telling them, you must be perfect and sinless in order to hear the deep things of God, in order to understand the deep things of God. But he is saying, you must do what you have heard. You must obey according to what you have understood. Does that make sense? If you know these things are wrong, stop doing them. Don't continue to have a, a life marked by these sinful things. Because what that tells me is that at best, you are a spiritual infant. And at worst, you're not a Christian at all. Because here's the reality. The reality is this, that when we see people who come to faith in Christ... We see people come to faith in Christ and we rejoice. And that's fantastic. That, that came out weird. It sounded strange. That's fantastic. And we should rejoice. But do you remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower? There were four types of soil. One was the path that was hard and the ground was packed in really tight and the seed couldn't even penetrate the dirt and nothing ever happened. That's the person who hears the word of God and just rejects it. But do you remember what happened with the other three seeds? All three showed signs of growth. Remember that? All three sprouted. All three started to grow up. So that means that there are people who are going to show evidence of being a Christian and they're not. They're not. Right? Because some of it, the soil is rocky and it means that it never took root. It never really grasped a hold of Christ. And then the sun came out and scorched it and it was dead. Those are the people that have an emotional response. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And then it's gone. But for a time, it sure looks real. And then there are people that it starts to grow and then the thorns and the weeds choke it out. The cares of the world, as Jesus said. Well, you know, I really like my money being my money. I really like my time being my time. I really like being able to decide what I'm going to do when I want to do it. I like being Lord of my own life. And then they're gone. 
What is it that tells us that someone is truly saved? From the parable of the sower, Jesus himself says, the plant that grows and bears fruit. And so we need to be really careful with assuming that everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. We need to be really careful in how we teach Sunday school teachers, in how we lead ministry leaders, in how we proclaim the word of God, speaking to me as a pastor. Because if you're not showing evidence of growth, maybe you're just not saved. That's why the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not saying work to earn it. That's saying examine your heart to be sure that you're saved. That's what 1 John is talking about over and over and over again. If you say you love God but hate your brother, got some bad news for you there, buddy. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians. He's saying, I can't go deeper with you because I don't know that you're really saved. I don't know that you're really saved. That's why he says, even now, all right, when you, I'm back up to verse one, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, he kind of uses that as a double thing because either they're infants in Christ, they haven't grown, or they're just people of the flesh. And what is the only thing that will make them change? The Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit will bring understanding of what Paul is teaching and cause growth. That's how it goes. And so as we consider this text this week, how do we think about it? Well, the first thing is that we examine our own hearts examine our own hearts and ask hard questions. Do I think with the mind of Christ? Do I understand because I have the Spirit? Do I truly have a relationship with Christ? Or am I still an infant or a fleshly person, a person of the flesh, the natural man who is unable to understand? And if you are, seek Christ. Because here's the truth. You cannot and will not seek Jesus Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You won't. The Bible is very clear on that. There is no one who seeks God, not even one. But you don't, you don't know my granddaughter. She's really sweet. I don't care. Not even one. Nobody seeks God. So if you have a desire in your heart to follow after Christ, that came from God and God alone. And so pray. Pray and ask God to save you, to work in your heart, to bring you to spiritual maturity. And how do you reach spiritual maturity? You dig into the word of God. You devote yourself to teaching and to prayer. We have two services every Sunday where the word of God is taught. Come. Come and hear God's word proclaimed. 
that's how you grow. You study the Word of God, you hear the Word of God preached and taught, and that is how you grow when you apply it to your life. This week, I am rejoicing with you that the hidden things of God are not hidden for us. That they have been revealed to us by his word. That Christ has been revealed to us by the revelation of God through his Holy Spirit. And I pray with all of you that we would be changed by that moment by moment, day by day, for the rest of our lives until God calls us home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace and for mercy. We ask, Father, that you would grant to us repentance, that you would grant to us a desire to be mature, to grow in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to obey your word, that we would seek to have a long obedience in the right direction because that is the mark of a believer. Help us, Lord, to glorify Christ in all things. We pray this in his name. Amen.